through the fathomless depths of space swims the star turtle, the great Atuan. And on its back are four nerds trying to figure out just what it is that makes Sir Terry Pratchett's work both timely and timeless. So take a deep breath, remember we're doing this for a bit, and join us on our journey through interesting times and the complete discography. It truly is interesting times reading this book. Tonight we're discussing the 17th novel of the Discworld uh, Ofra. It is uh, Interesting Times. And it's from 1994, and that's going to become relevant. So, yeah, we'll, we'll just sort of dive right into it. The conceit of this novel is that Rincewind travels to the Agatean Empire, which is basically a pastiche of China and Japan. Uh, we sincerely hope that Terry was intending to highlight the problems with this trope, since casual Orientalism was a very common fantasy novel thing in the early to mid-90s, and Interesting Times was published in 1994. Similarly to Pyramids and Eric, uh, in 2021, the humor and references are shallow and are, uh, in our opinion, have not aged well and fall flat to us and probably to most people rereading as four white Americans, though we are not particularly qualified to delve into this in depth. We highly recommend listening to the Asians represent podcast, which we'll link in the show notes for comprehensive analysis of fantasy depictions of Asian cultures, especially ones that derive from the mid nineties, like, I don't know, L5R and stuff. With this in mind, uh, this episode will focus on the parts that we did like, as well as unrelated things we didn't, and probably not touch too much beyond broad strokes of discussing the problematic cultural aspects. So, you know, this will be reflected in our book scores and our ultimate recommendation against reading this book, unless you're really a completionist and you go into it with, with you know, open eyes about the challenges that lay ahead. It's kind of a double black diamond of a book because there are some salvageable parts. There's also no evidence that May You Live in Interesting Times has any basis in Chinese, Japanese, or any other language family uh, of the Eastern Asian area. So, you know, uh, there's that. So um, with that out of the way, let's do some titles. Anna, how are you feeling? I, I'm feeling good. And tonight I am an aspiring luggage pedicurist. I am Justin Three Seagrass, and I'm wishing that I was talking about a different book using this naming convention. Utterly fair. Minna. I am Minna. Politely protest the problems in this book. Shelve it slightly lower than books that you like better. And I'm Aaron, and honestly, at this point, just sitting and watching a water buffalo sounds pretty good about now. So, um, we'll give you the synopsis. We start with the framing device of the God's Gaming Table. Uh, which we've seen in previous books that were a lot better, uh, where fate and the lady lay a wager. You may remember the lady from such other books as The Light Fantastic. The patrician of Ankh-Morpork has sent a letter via pointless albatross from the Agatean Empire on the counterweight continent, commanding him to send us the great wizard with two Zs. The wizards of Unseen University, with one Z, after some discussion, eventually realize the spelling of wizard can refer to only one man, Rincewind. Hex, much more developed and maybe even self-developing since it was last seen in soul music, is used to summon Rincewind from his extremely happy exile on a deserted island. Archchancellor Ridcully, noting that since Rincewind has not passed his exams, cannot call himself a wizard unless he either passes said exams, 
doubtful, or performs a great service to magic, which he nudges him on several times. Ridcully convinces him to go to the Agatean Empire and speak to whoever sent the message. A second summoning spell is used, which exchanges the position of Rincewind with that of an armed and lit cannon in probably the best scene of the book. As usual, the luggage is not far behind Rincewind, following him across the continents to its homeland. However, once there, it gets the impression that Rincewind has relinquished ownership, and therefore the two are separated for a large portion of the book as the luggage explores the land and meets more of its kind, chaotically. <laughs> Upon his arrival on the Catoic continent, Rincewind is reunited with a companion of his previous adventures, Kohan, the Barbarian. Kohan has brought a group of aging heroes, the Silver Horde, with him, to take advantage of the state of turmoil the Empire finds itself in thanks in part to the expected death of the Emperor and in part to a revolutionary document entitled What I Did on My Holidays. The Empire's capital city of Hong Hong is under siege, quote-unquote, from the Empire's five most powerful feudal lords, the Hong, Tang, Fang, Song, and McSweeney, all politely waiting for the Emperor to breathe his last before they start stabbing on the way to the throne room. Rincewind travels, quote-unquote, to Hong Hong, where he meets Two Flowers' daughters, who are members of the Red Army, a revolutionary group planning to overthrow the social order and install themselves as guardians of a new people's party. He discovers that the Agatean culture is not a good breeding ground for revolution, and the Red Army doesn't do much more than putting up posters and shouting limp slogans. Rincewind is cajoled into helping the Red Army free revolutionary prisoners, but they are captured themselves and thrown into the dungeons where Two Flower our friend from the very first couple of books, is also being held. The most powerful feudal lord, Lord Hong, who is sort of a veterinary weeb, I guess, um, he is has a, in fact... He's a veterinary weeb. That's, that's a weeb. perfect description. Has in fact been manipulating the other four families and fomenting the Red Army to further his own political goals. His plan is for the Red Army to assassinate the Emperor so that he in turn can mount a counter-revolution, take control of the Empire, and eventually conquer Ankh-Morpork uh, so that he can walk around dressed as an Ankh-Morpork gentleman, I guess. Um, to this end, Rincewind and the others are mysteriously, quote-unquote, allowed to escape and led to the Emperor's bedroom with conveniently dead guards and conveniently placed weaponry and conveniently placed maps to the Emperor's bedroom marked with doors and, you know, other things like that, where they discover that the Emperor has, surprise, surprise, already been murdered by Lord Hong's soldiers. At the same time, Kohen and his Silver Horde, aided by a teacher, Mr. Savaloy, who has um, decided to, I guess, pal along with the barbarians for a while, they penetrate this forbidden city, home of the Emperor, and after running away a few times, Rincewind eventually finds his way to the throne room, where Cohen has now installed himself as Emperor by right of no one else sitting there, and the last guy is dead. However, the city remains under siege from five armies, and the Silver Horde are called out to meet their challenge. Rincewind, trying to avoid plot again, finds his way up an ancient hill outside Hung Hung. As the battle is about to commence, a massive thunderstorm appears and Rincewind falls through a hole and finds himself in a mysterious cave filled with terracotta statues, the original legendary Red Army. After stumbling some more into some magic armor that allows him to control the army lemmings style, we'll get into that, uh, Rincewind leads him, them out into the middle of the battlefield and destroys the five attacking armies, mostly by accident. Kohen is returned to Hong Hong victorious and re-proclaims himself emperor. Lord Hong escapes the battlefield and returns to Hong Hong for a final showdown. Two Flower challenges him to a duel, blaming Lord Hong for the death of his wife. Just as Hong is about to kill Two Flower, the Unseen University wizards attempt to resummon Rincewind, returning the cannon. Hong is killed along with one of the members of Kohen's horde, 
the aforementioned Ronald Savoy, the civilization instructor. The rest of the Silver Horde is unharmed due to the trope of many years of practice at not dying. Due to a slight error in calculation by Hex caused by the lady's interference, Rinswind does not return to the university. Um, instead, there's a charred, flattened, and deep-fried kangaroo. <laughs> the wizards determine that Rincewind has in fact been transported to 4X, an unexplored continent. Insert, oh no, here we go again, Rincewind face. And that's the book. So I need to talk about something before we like go any further. There has been a channel in the in the complete discography discord since basically it was created that is of that is 4x and i did yes. not know what this meant until oh this exact... that's what that is oh my god it's yep. a it's a it's a I, pune or sorry, play on words i just had that revelation right now go for yep, it yep that's that's what um that's my my snarky attempt to establish an nsfw channel name so that's some inside baseball for you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the main characters in the book. Rincewind, Genghis Kohan, the Silver Horde, Lord Hong. Done. Oh, we get Two Flower again. But that's... Two Flower. Oh, Two Flower, yeah. It's well, nice to see him again, him slightly more confident. 15 books. Yeah, dog's ears. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah. Okay, there are many things wrong with this book, but also... I never thought I'd be at this point where I'm genuinely super emo about Rincewind and Two Flower and was delighting in every scene that they were together in. It's the whole thing of like, I don't actively hate this book. Yeah. Which is like, which is like, I think that's an improvement. I think like this is like, if we want to take out the structural racism, I think this is actually probably the best Rincewind book. I don't feel wishes abroad about it. Like, as just a story... It is the good. problem with the Rincewind books is that he travels to places that Terry isn't good at writing. Yeah. That, like, I could imagine a amazing Rincewind book where he went to the Ram Tops, say, and encountered the witches. Look, Justin was saying, I think this structure is particularly suited for, like, Rincewind, because it's, like, a very tight plot that is already set in motion and already, like, snowballing before he ever arrives in it. So it works really well in tension with his, I do not want to be a protagonist, I absolutely refuse, no, I'm not getting involved mm -hmm. thing. Like, it works really well on, like, the more, like, episodic stuff that was going on in his early books. It's the subversion of the British hero goes to foreign places and does lots of stuff. And that Rincewind doesn't want to be there, doesn't want to do anything, and really just wants to leave and plot continues to happen at him. Yeah. Yeah. But he has he has more intentionality behind him at this point. Like like stuff is still happening around him, but he's he's got some savvy and he can like see what's happening and he has motivations other than just strictly cowardice or at least the or at least the cowardice is more finely honed at this point he has a very tiny hint of a moral compass he's he's a better everyman at this point i think cuz like 
I think it's a lot easier to look at him at this point and be like, okay, well, this is somebody who's not a bad person and who just like doesn't want to get involved in this big, scary stuff that he keeps being thrown into. And like, that's pretty relatable of like being in a strange situation and not actually really wanting to be the hero in dangerous danger. Yeah, I mean, it says... I can't remember exactly where it says something along the lines of like, he knew how to say I'm running away now or something like that in 42 languages. Yeah. yeah. And he, and he knew how to scream for mercy in another hundred right. or whatever. I think it's that he knows how to scream, how to ask for mercy in the fewer. And then he knows how to say, ah, in a way that is actually like, ah, right. and not do that more. Yes, that is that is also a a recurring joke in in this book, which which is playing off of the um, uh, off, of, off of tonal uh, tonal phonemes in um, in Chinese. Yeah, your mother is a hippo instead of arg. Anyway, anyway, uh, so Genghis Cohen, the barbarian. Yeah, he goes through some existential crises in this book. That part was good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I felt like the the horde was mostly funny. Mostly funny. There's the but one had... that I could do without. I don't remember his name, but if you just took him out, the horde would be fine. Yeah, there's the there was the member of the horde that kept like being like, you know, when do we do the sexual assaults? And mm-hmm. I had to like put down the book and scream a little every time that happened. He's like the yeah. non-consensual version of jerk-off Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> but you take him out, I think, like, they're, they're a playoff the, like, old group of, like, the old criminals doing one last job. And honestly, that's a good trope. I like it. Mm. And... Stuff like the combat wheelchair is so good. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed the combat wheelchair. And the general trope of like they've gotten good at not dying is just really appealing to me. <laughs> I love the description of their combat too, that it's very like parsimonious, that mm. you know, they're not moving quickly, they just happen to not be there when the weapon goes by. And also, you know, a lack of lack of interest in like the niceties and formalities of, of ritualized combat. I like that there's kind of this running thread in this book of like this almost mournful awareness that everyone in it is getting older, that they've been in this series for quite a while, and you know, the the horde are all dealing with especially Cohen is specifically dealing with what's it all about? What have I been doing this all this time for? And then you get like when Two Flower and Rincewind are talking at some point after the big battle, and Two Flowers like mentions like we had a lot of fun when we were younger together, and I was like, oh, I didn't know they were older now. <laughs> yeah, it's been like ten years, I think. Yeah, something along those lines. I mean, time is kind of squishy. There's very few textual yeah. indications for or for time passing. Time is kind of squishy in Discworld, but there's mm-hmm. like this this awareness, I think, in this. That I that I think is supposed to be part of the emotional underbelly of this book that is like they're all kind of dealing with their own mortality in some ways. Mm-hmm. And then there's Lord Hong, who mm. I would mm-hmm. classify as not a good villain. Like there's similar genealogy to Vorbis, 
except that his motivations are less interesting. I was going to um, compare him to Thrawn, but less infuriating. <laughs> I mean, Thrawn at least has a bet that he could be this, like, villain who at least has, like... I think, like, Thrawn is at least interesting because he's like, I've got this shtick, which is that I'm evil Sherlock Holmes with a boner for art. I like his thing for art. I do not. I find him very infuriating. And then the we're not going to talk about that trilogy, the Thrawn trilogy. It's fine. <laughs> um, I I meant. I think what I was trying to articulate is he's very good at everything, and the only way yeah. to yeah. get rid of him reasonably is to kind of Deus Ex Machina him. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, Rincewind is a Deus Ex Machina. I, I think it's like what like like they are obviously trying to like play on, like, the dude who has achieved perfection at everything. He wants to be Vetinari, mm-hmm. but yeah. he just isn't. <laughs> He's, like, Vetinari's biggest fanboy. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe that is kind of the joke of, you know, making fun of weebs. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, there was that really- there was that thing he says where he's he, in his in his inner monologue where he's like, you know, I would love to play chess against Fetinari, but I guess that would mean leaving one of his arms on, and it's just like, Ugh. yeah, I did like where where he like puts on all his Ankh-Morpork clothing, and he's like, <laughs> they would see me as their natural leader, and the narration is like they would throw half a brick at him and yeah. make fun of him. <laughs> they call the yeah. tosser. <laughs> I think it was a toss. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that that was a that was a good line, but in in general it's just like ugh, he's just the the good at everything trope is a hard one to stick the landing on. For a discussion of good villains, uh you can refer back to uh Small Gods. <laughs> yeah, or every time we see Vetinari. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, is Veterinari a villain or just an antagonist? Yeah, Veterinari is like... Yeah. He's a constructive antagonist. He's, he's a constructive yeah. antagonist who just, like, flamingos around the place. He's like... Um, he's not carnivorous good, flamingo. but he's massively useful. <laughs> yeah. 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 He makes things happen in stories. Uh, I, I think, like, the best way to describe Veterinari is, like... To, like, is that Veterinari is a dramatic antagonist where people want things from Veterinari... But he's not a procedural antagonist. He's not like somebody who is opposing, like he's yeah. not opposing the goals of the characters. He just often, mm-hmm. like people have to convince him that like helping the protagonist is is in his best interest, or they have or, to. Or, or, just he wait, buddy. To, or he has to convince the protagonist <laughs> yeah. that helping does, the plot is in their best interest. He does really well as a catalyst, I think. Another thing that we need to talk about is that there's a lot of casual jokes about sexual assault, and that's not funny. Yeah. Yeah. They're really all, like, hovering around the horde. And I was thinking, you know, well, this is such a departure from the other jokes. I don't think we've had a sexual assault joke in, wait, oh, since the last time we saw Cohen. Do you not remember Grebo? Oh, Grebo. right. Grebo, He's worse, Grebo. arguably, than the Horde. Because yeah. the Horde don't actually mean it in, like, a sense that you're worried about it in the narration or in the narrative. They're fairly uncommon, and it's really jarring and unfunny. Yeah. Also, in this one, even girl luggages have to contend with sexual harassment. 
Yeah, I know. Yeah. We're going to talk about the girl. I think we're going to have to talk about the girl luggage later because it is so <laughs> weird. So weird. Yeah. Like, there was an instant on Iota of a moment where I'm like, Terry, you got it. No, you don't got it. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, this close. And then, so you, close. and then you remember you were in a Rincewind book. <laughs> well, okay. Rincewind himself has gotten miles better in terms oh, of yeah. that. Oh my it's god. Just, it's just like writing these books, like writing this character seemed to like invite him back into like his worst habits. Yeah. I think it's because he's playing, because Rincewind, I think the Rincewind novels more than any of the others, like, really plays into the pulpy fantasy stuff. Yeah, because I think he, in all of the Rincewind books, he's he's trying less to, you know, expand on his own world and ink more pork. And it's much more like, let's poke fun at the pulp fantasy trope du jour, which in 1994 was fantasy Asia. Yeah. So Anna and I had both read this book. I can't remember, Minna. Had you read this book before? No. It was a Rincewind yeah. book. I wouldn't have read it before. Gotcha. I, full disclosure, I remember reading it and enjoying it in the late 90s. And I mean, I enjoyed is, it. You know? Uh, yeah. I mean, with many reservations. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, I, I enjoyed some of it. And then there was parts of it where I was just like, oh, God, can we get through the next 50 pages, please? Yeah. I had basically entirely forgotten this book. And for good reason. I think the only the only scene that I remembered concretely was the uh, spy in the vase. <laughs> oh, that's a funny scene. That is a very funny scene. Yeah, which is that that's a really good little scene and it's it's one of the like good bits and I remembered that we got two flower again. Mm-hmm. Um and I remembered that we got a dibbler. I remembered a lot of the oh look, luggages are just common here. I yeah. did love the slow reveal of this is a dibbler type. Wait, this this is just fantasy asia dibbler i don't enjoy the name but i enjoyed that slow slow walking you into the joke that you can see coming which is something that terry does very well and rincewind is like you know if you and the cmo team met i think there might be an explosion (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah and also the little bit of like you know there are only so many people in the world you just happen to meet a lot of them. And Justin, I warned you uh, beforehand that I was worried about this book, but you know, <laughs> I'd love to hear your overarching thoughts as well. I referenced in my game with Anna yesterday that um, I had given up alcohol for Lent. Um, I, I I do not, pra- I'm not a practicing member of any Christian denomination, but I have family members who are, so I'm like, heck, I'll do it with them just for solidarity. And you know, um, yeah, you know, this book broke me. <laughs> Listeners, okay, if you can't hear it, there. Justin just untwisted the bottle, the cap on a bottle. I'm not practicing. <laughs> yeah, get get that right up in the mic for the good Foley. Yes. After this book is done with me, let's fucking go. <laughs> my, my thoughts on this book are... But structurally, this is the soundest Rincewind book out there, what we have read. There are parts of it that are funny. The first 50 pages of this book are delightful. However, it is just like, 
I I kept joking, like, Aaron, you mentioned, like, I don't remember it being this bad. And I was like, I have a friend who was like, Justin, you're shitposting a lot about this book on Twitter. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. It's like, which book are you up, up, up to in this world? I'm like, oh, it's interesting times. And I'm like, just a little bit racist. They looked it up on Wikipedia and they are like, ooh, ooh, I don't remember this. <laughs> I'm like, I think there's just like, I think you have a tendency to like, I'll just push aside the parts of this book that are uncomfortable for me to remember. Um, I mean, or you just, it's a blind spot. And frankly, yeah. I'm almost forgiving of Pratchett because I can see the ways it could have been worse. And that's not an excuse. That doesn't actually mean that this is good. It's just, yeah. I'm so like, I, I other fantasy authors have hurt me so bad that I'm like, I know how this <laughs> could have been worse. And I'm glad it wasn't that bad. There aren't any phonetic accents in this book. Oh, God, which, can you which fucking imagine? Terry has, I'm so grateful. Terry I'm used so to grateful. have a problem with that. There he are phonetic for... accents, but they're specifically English ones. Because I do well, yeah. remember one person that I was like, this man has a Yorkshire accent. I can hear it. Okay, he doesn't do, he doesn't do like... Yes, thank God. Non-English phonetic accents, which is... I that's, am so glad I didn't listen to the audiobook. There was only oh, one no. reason that I wish I could have listened to the audiobook and that's to find out how the fuck he pronounced name, the name of the shark, but I could not have dealt, because they always do the voices on the bad East Asian caricatures, and it's bad. I was worried about that because I knew Cohen was in this book, and I was like, I know the last time he did he broke Cohen like he did. <laughs> well, Cohen has teeth now. Yeah, Cohen has teeth sure. like now. But I was just like wondering, it's like, okay, if we're getting that, phon- I was like, I was wondering, I was like, okay, if we're getting that accent, are we getting the phonetic accent? And I was like, okay, that's that's at least not happening yeah, the phonetic accents within Ankmore Pork are fine yeah. because they're all they're all various British accents. Outside of that, not so much, but thank God there were none here. The first fifty pages of this book are really solid. They're funny. They introduce new stuff from the desk. This is Rincewind's first encounter with the with the post sorcery reorganization of Unseen University with the narrative. We get to see Rin Cully interacting with Rin's wind. What's a Rin's wind? And Rin Rin Cully takes the initial process of just being, like, really nice to him. And Rin's wind is just like, I'm sorry, I can't do this. Could you just be mean to me? (laughs) And that is, like, that is honestly, like, hilarious. Then on the other fucking hand. So, broad themes. um, You know, I, I pulled out, like there's a lot of discussion of how revolutions just sort of are the medieval uh, wheel of fortune kind of like you're up one day you're down the next. Um, And then also sort of like myth versus reality is a through line. There's sort of an, I'm trying to think how to phrase it. It's not anti-capitalist, maybe like anti-oligarchy. Cause there's always these things that when Rincewind is like looking at this revolution, he's like, is this really for the people, or is this for other yeah. very privileged people saying how we should treat the people? Right, right. I thought that that was. I thought that that was a decent through line. I have down as a major theme that Rincewind is doomed to adventure wherever he goes, and just deserves a nice potato. Oh my god! Please let the man have a nap, a potato, and possibly hang out with the like 
high energy magic guys. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna I think shipping quarter might be slightly devoted to my AU. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Absolutely. But I, I think the, the through line that like revolutions are meaningless unless they actually like listen to the people that they're revolutioning for that it's like all well and good to have a revolution for the people but if you don't like actually think about what the people want and need it's just the same thing all over again mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and you know the revolution in this is like almost it's a false flag basically yeah it's being funded and inspired by lord hong you, you, we are dodging the fantasy hero coming in and saving everything trope, but we are also having like the the um sort of mirror genre of that, which is white violent hero coming in and taking over an empire. Like this is a Conan. This like that. That's a Conan book. Like it is actually like a Conan storyline of Conan coming in, killing an emperor, becoming a king. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of like weird. It's weird. I don't really know if I want to like call it like colonialist, but it's like right on the border there. Yeah, there's and there's like if we want to talk about the Red Army in a little bit, like there's some stuff there about like how. Can I just say when I heard the phrase Red Army, I was very, very scared. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, like, nowhere as bad as I thought it could have been, but... Yeah, uh, it could have been so much worse. Um, I mean, it's, like, I think there is something that, like, is brought up here, and we'll get to that in the button, that, like, revolutions will always benefit some people more than others, even in, like, a more egalitarian revolution, there will be certain people who are privileged above others. And I think it's it ends up being a through line for Pratchett when he talks about, like, revolutions, popular uprisings, things like that. But he tends to be, like, fairly critical of, like, the aims and the ends of them, uh, which, I mean, yeah. is how it works in this one. I don't know. Oh, Nightwatch. We'll get to yeah, you someday yeah. soon. Yeah, but I mean, it, it comes up anytime you have any kind of mob and ink more pork. I mean... There's also maybe some stuff there with the Silver Horde and like there's a lot of sort of screen time devoted to them, uh, some of it better than others. There's a bunch of aspects of like that it's not impossible to learn something new, even if you're very old, like the the Horde do gradually learn, air quotes, civilization, like how money works and all those things. Um but but it is a it's it's a hard trek for them. But but it is possible. I think the purpose of pitting the Civil Horde against civilization is actually kind of another theme that came through for me, where it's like, yes, it's polite, but that civilized society has as much violence inherent in it as, you know, just attacking towns with swords. It's just a lot less honest about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I did like the the through line of them being very literal minded when people are like, I would rather die than betray the emperor. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, okay. <laughs> cool. We can do that for you. I never knew a barbarian who cut up people solely in little rooms or tortured women to make them look pretty or put poison in people's grubs. Civilization of that civilization you can shove it with the sun don't shine. 
Yeah, I, that's definitely uh, that's definitely feels like it has a similar genealogy to the the discussion of religion in Small Gods. But I think it also ties in a lot to like the concept of like they have something worse than whips in the Agatean Empire. They just have mm-hmm. this really deeply ingrained and reinforced by violence, like just obedience. You just learn to be obedient. Mm-hmm. There's also the bittersweet thing with the horde of that. There's the downside of living mm-hmm. to be very old mm-hmm. which is that everybody you know dies first uh, the, when when Cohen was like walking through the forbidden city like trying to like think of more people who might not be dead or retired and like coming mm-hmm. up blanks it was oh it was rough yeah yeah that's a that's a, that's a good scene also something something what is your legacy something 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 Good old Run is now a sergeant of a guard somewhere. I wonder where. <laughs> where? Who? Which police force took Run on? I mean, <laughs> like, any police force, honestly. <laughs> but can you imagine? He just gets transferred into the city watch one day, like as the officer alone. Anyway, sorry, my brain went places. Carrot would whip him into shape. Yeah, we're not going to cover the Orientalist tropes. That's that we would just like drink ourselves to death on Mike. For the most part, I, I think I would say like for the most part, the Agadian Empire is a China proxy. Like that that is what we have for the majority of it. There seems to be like points when Terry drops in Japanese references. Yep. And it's entirely yeah. just seems like it is just points where he didn't have a good joke. Uh, Dibbler specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Dibbler, Dibbler, like in the middle of like the big Kung Hung city is just like disemboweled me, disemboweled me honorably and calls everybody Shogun. Um, it's just really like. Was the Shogun thing like, I don't even understand. Was it like a governor joke or? Yeah, okay. that's what it was. I was like, what the fuck? I had to look up Shogun to try and puzzle out what Terry was doing. Yeah. And then there's just like, there's an end bit where there's like, oh, they're, they're ninjas. They're ninjas. Yeah. Um, and sumo wrestlers. Yeah, there's yep. sumo wrestlers. There, there's also You're samurai. You're also samurai. Mm-hmm. Throwing in random sans too. Yep. Um, and haiku as well. Oh, there's a trope being used here, which lends my belief to like, I know what Terry's reading list looks like is that this book is an astounding presentation of the inverse ninja law. Mm. For our listeners who are not aware of this trope, it is simply that the more ninjas in this scene, it, it, that there are present in a scene, the less potent each of those ninja will be to an inverse square. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Basically, if you are in a scene with one ninja, you're fucked in the ass. If there are 20 ninja in the scene, you're golden. See also Ip Man. Daredevil season two. Um, yep. Like any like Batman thing, really, depending on which origin the, the adaptation's going with. Um, I feel like it makes sense, even, though. He even talks about it in the in the the battle scene because yeah. so many more people get stabbed by their friends and uh, you know trampled in in hasty retreats and things like that. So apparently, um, this doesn't really help. But reading through the the annotations on the book on L space, um, the word of God apparently is that 
a bunch of the mishmash was theoretically supposed to poke fun at the movie, a bunch of movies that were like samurai films, but they were made in the U.S. while all the Japanese were in internment camps. <laughs> um, oh, whoops. So instead, they just cast anybody Asian looking and it ended up with a like mishmash of tropes. So theoretically, it was supposed to make fun of that, but I don't think it hit that mark at all. This is the thing that Terry runs into over and over again, where he tries to satirize a trope, but he just ends up reinforcing it. And that's like, that's not even a genre I'm aware of. Because I'm sure if I ask like 20 nerds on the street who, like, I say, please give me a cultural touchstone that is not anime for samurai, I'm sure that 18 of them will just say Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, moving on. Hex is cool. Yeah. Yeah, there's some cool singularity stuff. Is Hex stuff. come back? I'll talk about Hex. I feel like yeah. Hex needs a book of its own. I don't think Hex ever gets a book of its own. Hogfather comes close. It writes Hogfather, itself. Yeah. There's a lot of Hex content yeah. in Hogfather. If you use Unseen University's burgeoning supercomputer uh, to commit felonies, does that make you Hex criminals? Well, I mean, it does It does you know, run on Hex code. Um, I, I, let's see, I could do more here. Uh, <laughs> no, going, I'm not going to do going. any WandaVision jokes because I don't want to be yelled at for spoilers. I have not seen WandaVision yet, so thank you. Is <laughs> <laughs> on my list. If you ask the supercomputer at UU to order you food, it'll just get you Hexmex. Ooh, that's a good, that's a good pun. It's not a good pun, which is why it was originally muffled into my hand. <laughs> if you ask it to do a spell related for medical purposes, is it actual healing? I got another. Sorry. This is just the part where we give up on the book and make hex puns. Yeah. Okay, but there is actually a couple, there are a couple things that were really good pull quotes for, you know, our, our little buttons uh, that hex doesn't have because hex has lots of different pieces that just appear randomly. We'll get back to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an inversion of the boots theory that I really like. Hit a man too hard and you can only rob him once. Hit him just hard enough and you can rob him every week. Hello, capitalism. <laughs> mm-hmm. They sure put in a lot of accountant jokes for me. <laughs> when I say they, I mean he. I, I like the line of when people who can read and write start fighting on behalf of people who can't, mm-hmm. you just end up with another kind of stupidity. If you want to help them build a big library or something and leaves the door open, which doesn't quite hit the mark. Um, but I, I like the vein of listening or thinking about what people actually need versus your assumptions. Um, I, that feels very real to me. Personally, I don't think that building a big library is probably, and leaving the doors open is probably a good solution either. But the, the point of like... I think he means just give them access to resources that would be helpful. Giving people access so that they can, you know, choose and decide what they need versus like deciding for them. Uh, I got to read this one out. Rincewind is is lecturing a little bit. Listen to me, will you? He said, settling down a little. 
I know about people who talk about suffering for the common good. It's never bloody them. When you hear a man shouting forward, brave comrades, you'll see he's the one behind the bloody big rock and wearing the only really arrow-proof helmet, understand? He stopped. The cadre were looking at him as if he was mad. He stared at their young, keen faces and felt very, very old. But there are causes worth dying for, said Butterfly. No, there aren't, because you've only got one life, but you can pick up another five causes on any street corner. Good grief. How can you live with a philosophy like that? Vincent took a deep breath. Continuously. <laughs> I, it's kind of at the point where Rincewind's gone so far into nihilism, he somehow winds up on the side of compassion. Mm. And I'm really confused by it, but I'm kind of into yeah, it. Yeah. I, it's almost that it, like he can't help but care now. It's like a combination of he's become so invested in saving his own skin that it's just like transitively like he wants to help. He wants to see other people not die. Color of magic Rincewind would have been, oh good, I it's I don't have to be the fastest person. I just have to be the I just have to be the second slowest. Mm-hmm. And this one now he's like, no, no, this is trust me. I know how to survive these things. <sighs> Terry, don't make me like Rincewind. I hate this. <laughs> like he's actually good. <laughs> I at this know. Book. I'm deeply affectionate about Rincewind and Two Flower, and I don't know when or how that yeah. happened, but I can only imagine it's that one scene in that one finale of the book I can't remember. And they where they were just arguing the whole way. It was wonderful. They have some tearjerker scenes too. I they do. Um like the like the the bit where Rincewind is, you know, where they're talking about the you know two flowers wife. Um and then and then later it's a very, very <gasps> subtle little bit um that uh two flower says that you know he has he still has two daughters or like you know, he's he's very fortunate he has two daughters that was like a significant moment. I think it's more just like I don't want to talk about what happened to my wife. We're not gonna talk about mm-hmm. it, yeah, because later when he does face Hong, you find out I mean just in the midst of just battles happening where these people don't care about the actual people where they're fighting, she died and they Hong doesn't even remember. Yeah. Which honestly might be a button moment for me, just in terms of like how this book thinks about war and fighting and also leadership. Also has a Princess Bridey vibe. Uh what's what's that one Marvel quote that I haven't seen? Is it Marvel? Somebody's talking to like Thanos, like you killed someone that I care about, and Thanos is like, I don't know yeah. It, uh, specifically, it's it's Scarlet Witch who says, "You took everything from that me," and Thanos is, "I don't even know who you are." Two Flower has a kind yeah. of moment like yeah. that. <laughs> the Two Flower content is good, and the the moment where they reunite on like opposite sides of the cell wall. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> I literally put, I highlighted it, and then in my notes, I put four crying emojis. Beautiful. Tap, tap, <laughs> tap, tap. Would you just talk, please? I'm not supposed to talk. God, even prisoners follow the rules. <laughs> and then when they both realize, wait. Uh, that's not how another prisoner who was reasonable would talk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the, the whole idea of, like... You know, they thought it would be fine for Two Flower to go visit a foreign land, and now they're realizing that was a mistake because he's got, you know, ideas. 
That that can go back in the trope bin as well. I don't like almost anything about the world building of the Agatine Empire, but I do like that as much as Two Flower left a wake of change behind him in Ankhmore Pork. Because you, you can, like, they even mention, like, all the technology that got brought to Ankhmore Pork and made Ankhmore Porkian. It also brought change to the Agatine Empire. <laughs> he's, he's, just, he's just a force of entropy, and I love it. So, probably, what did we like about the book? Hex. Hex. I do like Hex, but it's not my favorite part of the book. That's fair. <laughs> but that's true. It is very good. Surprisingly, my favorite part is too far in Red's Wind, and I know I keep saying that, but I can't believe yeah. that's... I do also... Okay. This could have gone very poorly. I liked Butterfly and Lotus Blossom in the end, mm. which I don't... I, I didn't know how that was going to turn out, but... It's a fun dynamic, especially because Butterfly is a cynic and clearly doesn't believe any of the bullshit that her dad wrote because she knows him. <laughs> like, I feel like that's part yeah. of why she questions it. Yeah. Something I really liked in the book was the long discussion about how Discworld magic follows common sense rather than logic. That was yeah. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, just in general, every time that we deal with the high energy magic people, I'm it gets it. better and better every time. And yeah. there's so many nerdy early computing references in there too, early personal computing. Yeah, the, the, mm-hmm. and and a lot of like nuclear physics jokes in there too. Mm-hmm. Can I share my favorite stupid accounting joke? Yes, <laughs> it was the principal that counted and the interest too. <sighs> Boo. Wow, that's that's a bad. That's such a bad joke, and I love it. It was designed for me. <laughs> it's a bad pun. I I love those. I think my favorite running bit was the Rinsuin potato bit. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! Because yes. it starts out with that he's he's on his deserted island and is approached by like Amazonian style women and you're just like they're like you can have anything you desire and you're just please bracing no, yourself no, you're no. bracing yourself <laughs> for this to be awful and it's like this is going to be a death by snoo snoo sort of situation and then he says can I have them mashed yeah. <laughs> and you realize that what he wants is a potato to the point where later in the book, it discusses how he later had to have a significant amount of therapy to uncross those wires. <laughs> On this topic, can we talk about how are the British eating potatoes? Because at one point, he wishes for cream cheese on his potato with maybe a side of coleslaw. And I'm like, is this normal? Brandon, what you doing? What you doing, buddy? It's. I mean, a, side, a coleslaw with the baked potatoes is a solid thing but maybe not on top of each other i think the coleslaw is on the side yeah i think this is partially my hate boner for coleslaw showing but i'm very confused about the cream cheese i'm sure that okay i'm i'm definitely joking by the way i'm sure this is normal in or has been normal in the uk i'm not i i think it maybe maybe it's not that dissimilar from like putting sour cream on just like but I feel like they have sour cream. I might be wrong. I yeah, don't know. <laughs> but I mean, maybe it's in the same. It's not that far off from the same category because, like, cream yeah. cheese on its own isn't any sweeter than sour cream. Mm-hmm. 
or mu- not much sweeter at least. Let's talk about the horsemen. Oh yeah, oh, there's, yeah. there's such good horseman content in this book. The four horsemen whose ride presages the end of the world are known to be death, war, famine, and pestilence. But even less significant events have their own horsemen. For example, the four horsemen of the common cold are sniffles, chesty, nostril, and lack of tissues. The four horsemen whose appearance foreshadows any public holiday are storm, gales, sleet, and contraflow. Among the armies encamped in the broad alluvial plain around Hung Hung, the invisible horsemen known as misinformation, rumor, and gossip sidled up. That That's a good, those are a good set of lines. Yeah. Can we talk about the fact that war was just Ares? His son's terror and panic. And daughter Clancy. I yes. love that part. Who I've decided is just, what's her face, Clarissa for the Percy Jackson books. <laughs> I, I personally like, like when I was reading this, I was just like, it's like, oh, this is just Ares. And that meant that, like, that just meant that immediately war in my head turned into glorious piece of man meat Ares from Hades. Who <laughs> is, I think, possibly the the, the spitting definition of the, of the phrase sexy bastard. Yeah, that's accurate. I got to, we, we dodged small gods before I fell down the Hades hole. So I had to at least have one public thirsting on this podcast. <laughs> from everything i've seen it's very valid i don't know the exact person you're talking about but everyone else looks great i love the moment where rincewind exploded the wall mm. with magic <laughs> um another wonderful Chekhov's gun i love it and it had a Harry. really like it had a kind of good omens shadwell finger feel to it mm-hmm. where he even did the thing with his finger yeah where it's so he knows that he didn't do this and yet he's still drunk on this power that he doesn't actually have and it also happens a couple times when they're quote unquote escaping the cells and he's like well you know if mm-hmm. i was really that powerful then there'd be a whole bunch of dead guards outside and one of the revolutionaries comes back and there's like there's a whole bunch of dead guards outside and he's like fuck <laughs> yeah how can I convince you that this wasn't me? He's kind of a reverse Wizard of Oz in this, and I do appreciate that. Any other happy stuff we want to talk to bef- talk about before we get into the non-Orientalist um, stuff that was bothersome? Uh, I like the combat wheelchair quite a bit. Mm. Yeah, and the axes. Yeah, uh, and and just generally like the the fact that the the Silver Horde you know, are old and are not in what many would consider to be peak physical condition, um, that they have aches and pains. That was that was nice. I think one of my favorite little hex pieces is that there's an aquarium for the operator to watch. It's a screensaver. Y- yep, mm-hmm. exactly. I just caught that. Yeah. I missed that screensaver. And, and the ponder, like ponder as straight man to these ridiculous wizards is another one of my favorites. Like, there's some Scotty-level technobabble near the end. I enjoyed that the wizards kind of understood the technobabble, even though it was absolute nonsense. There's not... You can't have a triangle with three right angles. I'm dying here. Yeah, that was, uh... Even the geometric magic does not follow logic. (laughs) Which is the opposite of how geometry works. I did appreciate the age-old human impulse to reply to a computer that has helped you with thank you <laughs> and the terror when it replies no problem 
This has happened with my Echo device. <laughs> I also did like Rincewind clobbering himself with a boomerang at the very end. Oh, yeah. I do. I also, I also just really love how it's like you don't need a ton of context for where, like, you know where this next book is going because that is just like so intensely Australian at the end. What do you mean we don't need a lot of context? He threw every reference to Australia he could <laughs> yeah, think of fair. into like three pages. I guess it's more just like, it's so hyper-focused that it's like yeah. there's no doubt about it. I'm just like, bloke, bloke, bloke. I'm more than mildly worried about what he's going to do with, with the dream time because... Specific, yeah, with... Aber- <sighs> yeah, I'm con- I have concerns. Yeah. I definitely made a concern face when I read that. I was like, I don't know. Um, well, we'll tackle that. Um, yeah, we'll tackle that later. Uh, that's a, that's future and, me problem. And we will drink at that point. Yeah. Other things that made me nervous. Um, I was made more than a little bit uncomfortable by the discussion of the Silicon and of the Silicon Anti Defamation League, and specifically. Cohen's dismissiveness of it because that is very clearly referencing the like Anti-Defamation League which protects a lot of people against uh, anti-Semitism so you know mm. yeah it felt very old man-ish yeah I, I felt like a lot of the 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 Cohen Silver Horde stuff um, there there were some great highs and some real bad lows in general. I mean, the Silicon Anti-Defamation League, uh, people kind of snarking on it is not limited to the Silver Horde. Yeah. Because I'm pretty it sure definitely returns. Sam Vimes is in the same, and he's unquestionably heroic. Yeah, we got a reference to it in Nightwatch. You haven't read Nightwatch. Men at Arms, Men at Arms, that is, oh. <laughs> you better not have read Nightwatch. Yeah, seriously. No, I, I need have... pure, pure, unvarnished response to that from you. Listen, listen, listen. I need real if tears. There, if I was reading a book, would it be possible for you not to know at this point? That, that's true. We have now two podcasts, well, a podcast about that and a podcast about a show. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> like, uh, like, whoops. The, the, <laughs> Yeah, no, it would be impossible for you to know if I had if I had read a book in the in the recent time and not tweeted about it. I'm still uh, laughing about the the Muppet Show show thing. So Aaron sends me like on Saturday. I'm like, oh, I, I uh, the, from the deeper recording, the Muppet Show is now on Disney Plus. It has become an immediate comfort watch for me. Um, and I'm just like, this fucking slaps. And I was like, and Aaron links me to a, a, a Muppets podcast. And I was just a, like... A Muppet Show Rewatch podcast. Yeah, Muppet Show Rewatch podcast. And my immediate response was, Aaron, no. No. And, and just, it was the exact same feeling I get when Frodo gets a little too close to my dinner. What I'm doxing again. I'm just like, go. No. It's not mine. It's not mine, I swear. I was just like, I have to make sure at these points. (laughs) (sighs) Why is the luggage gendered? And why is it like the way that, you know, all the joke posts about cartoons? How do we make it obvious that this wolf is a guy and this wolf is a girl? That the luggage? Um. 
pretty much just so that he could make the carpentry jokes, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The the luggage there sex was a scene. Moment. Yeah, the luggage getting more ax- action than Rincewind. Action? Action? <laughs> With the sawing. I mean, <laughs> the sawing noises and then the brief silence as the soldier goes to investigate and then the sawing <laughs> renews. And then the babies. Yeah. There was a brief moment where I was like, this could be okay, actually. When Terry was, when or when Rincewind reflected, he didn't know why he thought he could put a gender on the luggage. And then, like, without a paragraph, he's like, nah, that's definitely a girl luggage. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just like, came so close. Oh, oh. oh. Yeah. He came so close. So, so close. Yeah. But at least the luggage has been confirmed to be the goodest boy, even by the standards of its own kind. Yeah. Yeah, it does go ham on those larger luggages. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, this is this <sighs> is sort of a low-key luggage book. There's not much omnicidal rage. Yeah, there's no stomping leviathans to death or anything. Yeah, we learned a lot more about the luggage's home yeah. life. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's what this book needed, is more luggage content. Which is interesting, though, because at least according to Elspace, I don't remember this because it's a year ago now, but... Um, Two Flower tells Rincewind that he got it from one of those magic shops. You know, the kind that disappears when you're not looking. Oh. Oh. Well. Yeah, I'm assuming this is a case of, you know, he forgot his own canon, which, I mean, we can't expect him to remember. He doesn't have a wiki in 1994 to reference. I I mean, he might have, though. (laughs) He had alt dot, you know, alt dot uh, lit dot uh, Terry Pratchett, probably. Alt dot lit (laughs) dot Discworld. Like, even even current authors who do have wikis of their own novels at their disposal don't, uh, I mean, often also have continuity errors. So I don't, I'm not going to hold that against him. We're 19 books in. Actually, there's a footnote about that somewhere. I mean, yeah, the, there there is... Um, oh, yeah. The footnote about how the, how the disc world works. Uh, people wonder how this works, since the terrestrial elephant would be unlikely to bear a revolving load for any length of time without some serious friction burns. But you may as well ask why the axle of a planet doesn't squeak, or where love goes, or what sound yellow makes. Basically, Terry saying, mm-hmm. "Fuck you, I don't care." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good line. <laughs> it's like the note from John Harper in uh, Blades in the Dark. This don't expect this to conform to the laws of physics. That's not how this world works. <laughs> I think we've covered all of the anything you wish you'd been done differently. Just like mm. generally that. Yeah. I mean, I could talk about this. Yeah, I've talked about this with pyramids. Or Amr originally made this point with pyramids. I sort of just want to harp onto it. Terry, just make fun of white people. Just make fun of white people. They don't have to be English white people. You can make fun of Russian people. You can make fun of French people. You can make fun of German people. You can make fun of Americans. Yeah. Make I mean, more fun of Americans, in, yeah. in fact. In the mid-90s, it was a very common trope to have Russians as the villains. So, like, you could have set this in the Russian Revolution. Like, could we? Okay. Yeah. But, like, could we? Okay, okay. I mean, we could, do, I mean, this, like, we could as, translate like, this. We could translate this to... Czars. Yeah, really well. But you can the Russian Empire. So, so if you do this though, the, the, here's how you here's how you get better is that you could like not only do you have the space of like, oh, I, we can make fun of the Russian Empire, but we can also make fun of like '80s action movies. 
Yeah. Where mm-hmm. like all like Russians are the bad guys all the time. And mm-hmm. you could just have like you could just have your obvious Dolph Lundgren pastiche. Yes, mm-hmm. I know that Dolph Lundgren is not German listeners. Don't fucking at me, but he plays a <laughs> Russian in everything. <laughs> <laughs> the French Revolution, you could have guillotine jokes. Honestly, American Revolution would also really work in this case. A lot of really learned people with high ideals of freedom who were actually elite. Yeah. Fuck, you could have done a Three Musketeers book, Terry. Oh man, yeah that that would be that'd be great. And this book this book would translate so well, like almost directly to being Russian, like Russian Revolution, and like the plot would largely work, like. Mm-hmm. You would only have to have mild adaptations, and the setting would be so much more solid. You wouldn't be able to have the robot Red Army, though. You know, you have to have a I different mean, Deus Ex Machina solution. I mean, then you just replace it with just like winter. You just have winter. Yeah, the <laughs> winter kills the me. winter soldiers. Oh, just winter. Uh... So that's how we'd fix the book. Yeah, that's how I fix the book. I don't really have anything else that I like want to talk about like that like is wrong with this book because I've like peppered in little word vomits occasionally over things that I hate in this book. So so Discworld references. Yeah. Uh, you had you had that's something you found out in Elspace. Oh, yeah, that's actually pretty interesting. Uh, according to Elspace, the book used to be titled Unclear Physics, which would be a cool title. Uh, and I would. Honestly, I've preferred an entire hex devoted book where they were firing Winston and around the disc at relative six speeds. That would be interesting. <laughs> you know, you could do mini. I would be okay with mini pastiches. I three hundred pages in the Agatian Empire is a little much. Well, we 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 have seen that mini pastiches also are oh, Eric. yeah questionable mm. because we had one of those in Eric and it was no bueno. I don't think I would want. Heck, sending people off across the disc with Rincewind. I would love to have a nerd do it. That'd be fun. Yeah, but you need a test animal. You're not going to fire Ponder. Ponder <laughs> knows how to run the thing. Well, you don't. You don't fire Ponder, but you could fire like what's his face? Turnip? Adrian Turnip? Mm. Something? Adrian Turnip Seed? I think. Thank you, Adrian Turnip Seed. I, I almost remembered his name. This one. I just. I want a team of nerds doing. Nuclear fusion slash sliders? space travel with hex, like like <laughs> discworld sliders. Oh my god, discworld sliders with hex. That would be so fun. And unclear, wow. unclear physics is such a good pun. Well, and also like if you remember in the moment where Rincewind pops out into the round world in, um, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it color or was it was it like fantastic? Where he's like a. It was whichever one had the dragons. Yeah, was, so was, I think it was, was like it? fantastic then, right? Yeah, yeah. So he was. I think so. He was a nuclear. We're gonna talk about that in shipping corner okay. because it's also Mina AU corner. Because he was a he was a, like a nuclear physicist in in that book, uh-huh. or in that in that AU. I desperately need him to meet and hang out with the high energy magic people, and it's never gonna happen. Uh, I think several of us noted that, um, and the front cap of the book, um, all of the. Uh, 
faculty roundly deny having been anywhere near the university <laughs> during the events of sorcery. Uh, the only one who's actually credible for that is uh, Ridcully, who in fact was not at the university and is hired after mm-hmm. all of that. I love how uh, isn't it the dean who is like I was I was away in Al Khalid? Is that it? Yeah, it's like he was away in the other city where there was sorcery stuff going on. Um, oh yeah, he was he wasn't dean at the time. Uh, and he was visiting his aunt in Querm, near Querm, not all that near actually, quite a way along the coast. I, I also liked the bit of Rincewind meeting death, um, mm. which has to, like, that's got to be proof that Rincewind really is a wizard because he can see death. That's true. I mean, other people can see death. He's also but touched But I think by his fate. ongoing rivalry with death. Yeah. Love the Lady Fate returning thing. Or, Lady sorry, Luck. no. Yeah. Lady Luck. Don't say the name. Oops. We're not in the disc world. <laughs> uh, I, I love that death is like, we're starting to get the thing where Rincewind confuses death. Yeah, the rivalry softened a bit. And and death is just like, I legitimately do not know when you're supposed to die. Like, it's it's a mystery. Who the fuck knows? I could take care of it now if you want. Yeah, that was, that was great. It's just like, I mean, I can... Can... I'm here anyway. Yes. I can fit you in my calendar. Yeah. I have a couple of references that I can't remember if they're references to things that we've already known about or if it's like, I know these from later books. <laughs> oh, re-annual references. Yeah. Or, I mean, things that get picked up later. Um, Snapcase and the Figgin. We've, we had Figgins in Guards Guards. And they've referenced Mad Lord Snapcase before. Okay. Mm-hmm. We just... More about Snapcase yes. later. The Battle of Coombe Valley. Yeah, I'm glad yeah. you picked that out. Which comes up yeah. in the first Vimes book I ever read. Mm-hmm. Which, yes, I know that was the first Vimes book I ever read. <laughs> I mean, it's referenced in... It's definitely referenced in, in Men at Arms. Yeah. Okay. I couldn't remember. I just knew... I immediately knew, whoa, that one... <laughs> And we'll invert this and quickly talk about some round world references uh, before we get onto the shipping corner. Mm-hmm. Um, so at near the end, uh, the lady does what I can only describe as a cosmic ray bit flip on Hex. Um, in case you're not familiar with what that is, if you remember the early days of the Prius when they had that unintended acceleration problem, yeah, um, they had they have pretty much entirely proved that that was because. Uh, Toyota was using single uh, computer controllers um, and some of them were just getting hit by some of the the memory blocks were getting hit by cosmic rays and flipping a bit. It's uh, wild. This is a problem and this is why we now use this is why a lot of these systems use redundant computer systems which poll each other and the two that agree uh they go with they go with that decision uh it's been demonstrated in voting machines it's been demonstrating in in a bunch of different places that's how that like our computers are sensitive to cosmic rays which is wild uh there is a fantastic recent case of this that was just um that was just reported recently um uh, that just recently happened with um, Super Mario 64 speedrunning. Yeah. Yeah. A cosmic ray bit flip happened that changed the value of the game. Wild. The 
other thing that I wanted to pull out that I sort of knew but confirmed on LSpace. The control icons that are on the red, the the control, the magic armor for the red army uh, are lifted directly from Lemmings, which Terry avows he had to permanently uninstall and overwritely install the skets for because it was just consuming too much of his time. Uh, I I understand that feeling entirely. That 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 is too real. It's yeah, like, like the, the thing of like, ooh, this this. This game is overriding my life here. I do have one round world reference I want to bring up. So I'm only bringing this up. It's not terribly important, but I'm bringing it up because it wasn't when I went to check in the L-Space annotations that I could find. Life was, he had heard like a bird which flies out of the darkness and across a crowded hall and then through another window into the endless night again. In Rincewind's case, it had managed to do something incontinent in his dinner. (laughs) Which is... A reference to St. Bede, um, a speech reported in the Ecclesiastical History of the English People. I don't know this because I'm familiar with St. Bede. I'm not. But it gets referenced a weird amount in fantasy fiction, I feel. Hmm. Um, which is probably why it's here. But I was just like, oh, that's neat. I know what that is. Elspace doesn't have this annotation. I'm going to have to go find out where it's from. <laughs> there's there's another thing that I I just got the like spidey sense that it's a reference to something specific uh in that in that chase scene where Rincewind is being like chased through the city um there's this thing where he's being followed by a man with a prod three guards five laundry men and a wrestler and there's the like artist there who like paints this but simplified and this it just i had the spidey sense this is a reference to something but i don't know what well the blue i don't know what the second plate is a reference to but the first plate is a willow china plate yeah yeah Yeah. i know that i know that the the all the all the colors were ruined except for blue and he's gonna fucking show them that's the willow china thing but the but the specific like that that the phrasing with like you know Rincewind being followed by a man with a prod, three guards, five laundry men, and a wrestler. Like, the phrasing on it was like, this is a reference to something, but I don't know what. It feels like it would be accompanied by Yakety Sax. Yeah. <laughs> it feels very Mr. I, Bean or whatever that other show is. I was also wondering if, if it's referencing actual plate, but in my head, I think maybe I came to the conclusion that it's just, oh, this is the, this is the actual extremely uh, specific pattern that becomes popular in the disc world instead of the willow plate all right let's dive into shipping and uh wrap this thing up i wrote a weird amount of notes that were rinse wind slash blank most of them were rinse wind slash potatoes rinse wind slash high energy magic building although i did i did write rinse wind slash the lady I'm not. That is like that's like the most like step on me relationship of all time. Oh, oh, for sure. But are we going to claim that Rincewind wouldn't be into that? No, no. R- Rincewind is like as long as it involves some potatoes. I just feel that he would he would know where he was at. He would find that comforting. Actual shipping out of the way for me. Deeply entrenched in several AU's now. 
they're not going anywhere but in my head. But first of all, I really, really need Rincewind to like properly meet the high energy magic building people. I really enjoy the possibility of him being like the lab supervisor there who's like the only person who cares about the risks. He's the one who introduces safety goggles to these kids who are all just <laughs> chaotic people who share his belief that there must be a logic to magic and have figured out a way to try and prove it. But they're all going to die without him. <laughs> he is he has unfortunately adopted them. That's a good AU. Speaking of unfortunately, I have adopted this child. <laughs> I got some like stepdad bonding vibes with Rincewind and Butterfly towards the end when they were running away together. <laughs> Where it was like, I've never known anyone who could keep up with me. <laughs> I can I can see it. I can see it. I choose to believe that it was not written as romantic because gross. <laughs> this is where I'm at, apparently, just Rincewind reluctantly adopting people who do not know better and are going to die. And uh, the the AU of, like, Rincewind supervising the high-energy magic folks really has a, like, librarian's vibe to me. He's, listen, he's he's the one who stays in the lab, vaguely directs stuff, but in reality mostly signs off on things and tells people not to die. This is never going to happen. I, I like it, though. It's, this is very comfy. And he can, and he could eat a potato. Mm-hmm. He could eat many potatoes. And listen, he he spent so much of his later books homesick, and I just want him to go home. I feel like if anybody would be able to invent the microwave, it would be the high-energy magic folks. Oh my god, yes. And then he just microwaves all the potatoes his heart can mm-hmm. desire. And puts questionable things on top of them. Wow, wow sauce. I, I think that Rincewind's uh, danger detection would like spike if wow wow sauce got within like 500 feet of him let's uh let's punish this book a little bit with our with our ratings are we all going with two because <laughs> i wrote two out of the 30 desired potatoes uh and i've got two out of 17 syllables and a haiku i have two books out of 30 better ones i could have read 40 in fact I don't know. I can't forgive Eric. <laughs> no, that's that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thirty-six. Like, I'm sure there's at least like th- like there's there's thirty that like I can. <laughs> and this is at least I think on even ground with pyramids. Hmm. I'm gonna say like two and a half, three out of seven indestructible sages. All right, and now we get to the bit. Except this time it's gonna be slightly different because we are treating ourselves after forcing our way through this by skipping ahead just a couple. And we're going to have a special guest who you will discover when uh, we start publicizing that next episode. But we are skipping ahead just a little bit to Hogfather. Hogfather! We're doing Christmas in July or whenever we're recording that. I don't know. We're doing Um, Christmas in quarantine. I'm the one one who scheduled it. I know it's going to be Christmas in March, but shh. Hogfather, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Hogs watch night when the Hogfather himself dons his red suit and climbs in his sleigh pulled by, of course, eight hogs to shower gifts across the world. But when the fat man goes missing, someone has to sit in. It's up to death to take the raids. 
Otherwise, the sun won't shine to Barhor ever again. Who would want to harm Discworld's most beloved icon? Very few things are held sacred in this twisted, corrupt, heartless, and oddly familiar universe, but the Hogfather is one of them. Yet, here it is, Hog's Watch Night, the most joyous and inquisitive of times, and the jolly old red-suited gift-giver has vanished without a trace. And there's something shady going on involving an uncommonly psychotic member of the Assassin's Guild and certain representatives of Ankhmor Pork's rather extensive criminal element. Suddenly, Discworld's entire myth systems is unraveling at an alarming rate. Drastic measures must be taken, which is why Death himself is taking up the reins of the fat man's vacated sleigh, which in turn has Death's level-headed granddaughter, Susan, racing to unravel the nasty humbugian mess before the holiday season goes straight to hell and takes everyone along with it. My god, it's the Santa Claus. And also Nightmare Before Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) And also somehow the Grinch who stole Christmas. Mm -hmm. It's legitimately my favorite Discworld book. And I've never read it, but I've seen part of the miniseries. Oh, you're in for a treat. The, the miniseries is also fantastic, it's really good. I have to say. Yeah. It's, it's the miniseries is why I was sure that I was going to like Susan Stohelet. Mm. So, Justin, that's going to be fun for you. I'm very excited to just have one that is just like the most tropey Christmas uh, thing ever. Except it's it's also it's also one of the books that like goes really hard on the philosophy bits. Yeah. And the the like anthropomorphic personifications. I know what we can say about the season that we're doing this in. We're doing Christmas in the isn't it the actual month of Christ's birth? <laughs> Best people can figure out. I might be wrong. We'll find out next time on the complete discography. The Complete Discography is an independent production by four people who just really like these books. All opinions expressed during the show are our own. All quotes from primary or related works are used under the Fair Use Doctrine and remain copyrighted by their original owners. The music from this podcast is sourced from Incompetech. That info can be found in the show notes. The rest of it is distributed under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it. Please share it, but say where you got it, don't make money off it, and don't change it. Connect with the show at Pod, which is A-T-U-I-N underscore P-O-D, or email us at atuin.pod at gmail.com.